Hazel Hislop and welcome back to my podcast, Healing Emotions. On this podcast, we're talking about mental health and well-being and how to navigate everyday life challenges while promoting mental health. Welcome back to my podcast, Healing Emotions. Today's topic is, what does it mean to be a millennial woman how does this shape your identity and the impact on mental well-being? And I'm really honored to have as my guest today, Mena Emu. You can correct me later, Mena, if I didn't pronounce your name properly. <laughs> I have known Mena now for over a year, initially as a client, um, and I've got to know her more in terms of the work she does, etc. So Mena has graciously offered her time to talk about her own journey in her personal and professional life in terms of her well-being and mental well-being and how she's managed that and what that's been like so far um and as i said uh, we i've known her initially as a client and i really wanted to really talk to her about her own experience to share this because most of the times the clients that I interview or sorry, the, the guests that I interview in the podcast or when I present different topics, it's mostly coming from maybe a, a professional perspective with a little touch in terms of their own journey. But um, it's really um, nice to speak to someone else who's been on the other side of the mental health journey as well and to help to dem- demystify the um the topical issues around mental health. So I'm just really grateful for your presence here today, Mena, and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Um, bit busy, like trying to figure out work stuff, but yeah, apart from that, I'm doing I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> How are Good. you doing, Hazel? Yeah, same. Um, I've got a lot on my, so in terms of distraction work, um, lots of, I'm starting a a new, um, to do a new teaching course for an organization. So that's distracting me. And plus I'm thinking of, not thinking, I'm in the process of moving. So um, like you, doing the best that I can in, in, and just taking one day at a time, trying not to freak out (laughs) too much. (laughs) So, um, man, I really am. I don't know, I just really value you and value you as a, as a woman, a younger woman than myself, and value in terms of your um, your honesty and transparency in terms of who you are and your journey. And you've shared a lot on the different platforms in terms of your work. But can you start by, well, first of all, pronouncing your name properly so people can pronounce it in the way it should be pronounced, and mm-hmm. then and, um, ask a bit about yourself. Okay, so my name is Mena. The full name is actually Okemena, um, which means this is my time. I like telling people my full name these mm. days because, yeah, I just love the meaning that it holds. And, yeah, it's part of my identity, I guess. And I am a mental health champion. Um, I'm also a coach, facilitator, I do lots of things, Hazel, as you know, like literally I'm just like a multi-hyphenate creative entrepreneur type person. Yeah, Um, tell them everything. um, You don't hold back. Okay. (laughs) Um, I also model Mm -hmm. and I have a business out in 
out in Lagos, Nigeria, which is a scent marketing business where essentially we make big spaces smell nice. And so I do a number of things, a lot of different things. Um, yesterday I was actually journaling about it and I like the freedom to express myself in lots of different ways. Um, mm -hmm. That was a struggle for me to come to terms with and embrace at the beginning of my journey because it felt like I was just like a jack of all trades and not really focused on one particular career path. And it made me feel a bit like an anomaly, to be honest. But then the more that I kind of have settled into myself, I figured out my tribe and who they are. And there are a lot of people like me out there who do lots of different things um, and juggle lots of different things. Mm -hmm. And so that's really been a part of my journey that I've started to embrace more and more, mm -hmm. um, which basically, yeah, that's who I am in a nutshell is what I do, who I am. I am a daughter, a sister, a friend. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I think, does that answer your question? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and I'm just sort of fascinated by the journey, as you said, your journey in terms of your identity and that acceptance of it. And, and we can touch on that. Maybe now is probably the right time and go, go a bit more into the millennium woman in terms of your perception of that. But just the journey itself, what was that like and how did that um impact on your mental well-being so my 20s were really really tough am i allowed to swear on this i don't really want to <laughs> they were you, really just a bit of a crap maybe you can lose you can lose the light swear words but maybe not the ones with the yeah. f <laughs> just for some of the people listening they might not be comfortable but, but you, you can use what? some soft swear like words swear words drive it home a bit but no it was a bit crap to be honest my 20s um I just had no idea what I wanted out of life who I really was um I let a lot of external opinions define me and um it really affected my mental health um so this journey for me started in 2017 um, it was a really tough year for me. I was living in Lagos, Nigeria. I had just finished doing my youth service, which is what you have to do before you can work in Nigeria for like a year. Um, and after that, I had been, after that, I came back to London during that summer because my cousin was terminally ill with cancer. Um, he sadly passed away that winter, but it was during that summer where I really went to the depths of despair and really just had quite an emotional breakdown, to be honest, and a really bad bout of depression, um, where I had felt like, you know, it was really hard for me to find my feet. I would look around at what everyone else was doing, as you do, you open up your social media, whether it's your Facebook or your Instagram, and you're seeing that people seem to be getting their lives in order and things, were happening for them, whether it was getting new jobs or getting married or um, having children. And at the time I was 27 and none of that seemed to be happening for me. It still hasn't, but <laughs> I accept it now. Like it, yeah. it's fine. I accept this is part of my journey, but mm -hmm. at the time it really bothered me because 
I, as I said, I let a lot of external opinions define who I was. And so, um, you know, it was during that summer where I, I had felt this like really bad depression that I kind of, I remember one night being up watching Netflix. Um, I didn't have work the next day cause I was unemployed and, um, I just burst into tears. I started crying. And mm -hmm. in that moment, for me, it was a really spiritual moment. I'm a Christian mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, I kind of started broke down, broke into tears. And I was like, God, like, what is the meaning of my life? I have no idea what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I want to get out of this life, what my purpose is in the world. Like everything just seemed to be a bit of a mess. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment, I really felt the Lord speak to me and say, you're a late bloomer just because it hasn't happened for you now, doesn't mean it's never gonna happen. And I woke up that morning feeling a bit more refreshed, actually, like, okay. Um, and I remember me messaging my sister and sending her a message and being like, I want to start something, um, writing like my experiences, whether it like, it's just something. And um, I think I know what I want to call the platform or whatever it is that I'm doing. So I registered the name, the late bloomers as a website. And I said to myself, right, make this your summer project. You have eight weeks. <laughs> I think I gave myself eight weeks to write like six stories um, of just your experience or experiences of millennials like you. Because I would, I would talk to a lot of friends kind of behind the scenes of social media, behind all the highlight reels. And everyone seemed to be dealing with stuff that nobody was really talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hold on a second, this doesn't make sense. Like, why aren't our lives really truly reflected on social media? And um, so I just made it a thing where I started to write and then I invited other people to share their stories and write. And from that, the community kind of started to build um, where more and more people wanted to get involved. We had people following us on Instagram. And then after about a year, um, they decided that, oh, like we actually want to meet in person, would it be possible? So I set yeah. up a couple of events. Um, I knew that I didn't want my events to be like panel discussions, like a lot of the events I, I would go to. Mm -hmm. I wanted really like transformational change. Um, so I actually come from a family of coaches where both my parents are actually leadership development coaches and mm -hmm. I've always kind of been trained with coaching methods which is really weird looking back now um but they would just <laughs> always use us as little guinea pigs or practice on us <laughs> like dinner table conversations yeah. where really powerful questions were asked um after school and like I just remember always being asked a lot of introspective um questions as a teenager and growing up mm. and I wanted to bring some of these elements into the work that I do at the late bloomers so it wasn't just collecting stories it's like okay now that you've heard this story how do you go about changing your life and where are you currently now where mm. do you want to get to which is what coaching is all about it's about being in the present being here in the moment now and seeing what you can do to kind of change your trajectory and so that is really what we started to apply to our events where people would come and 
their lives would be changed. I wanted that. I wanted them to be able to take something away that they could work on for themselves. And so that's yeah. what our events started to look like, like workshop events. And then when COVID happened, we had to take it online. And so tried to build a community online through Clubhouse and lots of different things that were going on, whether it was like Zoom calls, which gave everyone fatigue and still is giving a lot of people mm-hmm. fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we just kind of built the community that way. And it has really been a lifesaver for me. Like I'm so, and Hazel, you know this, Like <laughs> the passion I have for the platform is like next to none. It's like my baby. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really because it came at a time where I needed something the most. And, and it really was me trying to solve a problem for myself um, where I felt that, you know, there wasn't a place for us to be vulnerable. There wasn't a place for, for us to be real about our struggles and, and do so unashamedly. And so that really was the most important thing for me to build at that time, because it was something that I so desperately needed And I saw that there was a void that needed to be filled. Um, So that has really helped my mental health journey because it gave me something, like something to to do. (laughs) It was a creative project that has now turned into my life's work. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But I I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest, because I, I always say to people, you know, like creativity saved my life. Um, oh I love that that should be the title of a book Mena yeah creativity (laughs) saved my life I'm writing that down creativity saved my life it was really me digging deep and knowing that I had everything that it takes you know a lot of the time people look at their lives and and when you look at other people's lives and you think I wish I was a bit more like this or I wish I was a bit more like that and it was doing this project for me and just really digging deep into myself and how I felt and my feelings and just being creative through my writing in particular. I I wasn't really into writing at a young age. Um, I didn't know it was something that I was really good at because I never really gave it a try. And Mm -hmm. when I did dig deeper and kind of made journaling a, a daily practice for me and that really just saved me. It helped me realize that actually I am gifted. I am Mm -hmm. talented. I do have all the resources it takes to build something for myself. And if it was me feeling the rejection from not getting jobs that I really wanted um, or not getting, you know, positions that I wanted to be in or relationships that I really felt that I needed to have, um, this really just opened my eyes to see life differently and know that I'm on my own journey and I'm on my own path and I can look left and right but that's only going to distract me even further and what I really need to do is focus on understanding myself Mm. understanding what it is that I need out of life and um, not looking at other people really and just knowing that this journey is for me yes so that's been my my journey thus far Yes, and, and I'm still learning. 
Yes, uh, absolutely. It sounds like that from, from and, and I'm sure if you went further back, even before 2017, there would be bits of your story that also connects. But when you talking about the um, creativity saved my life, when you were talking about your own journey, being on your own path, and then coming back to share that with a community, even that wasn't not your goal, it made me think about um, Joseph Campbell. I don't know if you've come across his work. Mm-mm. I think he's an anthropologist or social anthropologist, something like that. But he went around the world. He's, he's no longer alive, but he went around the world to different cultures, studying different cultures in terms of how um, we develop and grow and what's the common themes. And um, it was mainly focused on men because of the time, the culture. But what came out from like his study was he said talked about bringing the wisdom back to the village Mm. and it sounds like that's what you have been doing in terms of your own learning because part of his study was around when you um like all of us go on a quest a quest to find meaning and purpose of our life and it usually comes at a time in a crisis a trauma some kind of major transition and you're Mm. forced out into the world to, to do that journey um, to find your way and then you go through challenges it can be an adventure it could be um, painful at times mm-hmm. joyful at times but when you 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 sort of come into the end of that journey or not necessarily but with the learning that you get from that journey what you do is not just about you but you bring that wisdom of that journey back to the village so that other people can then learn from your journey. And it, to me, that's what I, it made me think about in terms of your own transformation, bringing the wisdom back to, to the, the people that would be connected to you, that can, can share your story or resonate with your journey. Mm, definitely. No, for sure. Um, mm. That's what I think people need, particularly now, um, you know, it's not necessarily a want, it's a need. Um, we need to prioritise the way in which our minds are operating and understanding your mind and how how you think and why you think the way that you think and how you can reframe your thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of the time I realised that the reason I, I felt so down and woe is me about my life is because I was just listening to all the negative thoughts and and not reinforcing positive ones at all Mm. that wasn't a practice for me at all it was just hearing all the negative voices in my head um that inner kind of mean-spirited person who would just be like you can't achieve anything you can't get a job you're going to be unemployed forever like there aren't things that you can do. You're not creative. You're not talented. And these were the voices that really just led my life for the majority of my 20s. Um, and can I interrupt? Because just to say that um, from a psychological point of view, that the voices in your head are not normally, okay, there's a differentiation with voices in terms of somebody who's going through like a, um, a psychosis where there may be voices mm-hmm. that's not real but these are voices that you're talking about in terms of that created that limiting belief about yourself yeah. and those voices could come from culture it could come from um, family could come from our school environment our peers mm-hmm. 
society. So these are the voices you're talking about. They, they're not voices that you were born with, but they're kind of voices that influence you as you start growing and developing. So these are the voices you're referring to. Yeah. Um, and and so, well, so so if you think about some of those voices, where did they come from? That idea that, you know, you won't ever succeed, you're not good enough. What do you think influenced you in terms of those voices negatively? I think you know what it is, and and I don't think we've ever discussed this properly in any of my sessions, but mm -hmm. it's something that in the past maybe six months, I've mm -hmm. really sat with a bit mm -hmm. more. Um, the fact that I was bullied a lot growing up, mm -hmm. um, and that led to a lot of insecurities for me yeah. um, around how I, I looked, uh, around how I presented myself. Um, there were things that, you know, I always felt like a bit of an outsider, a bit of a misfit. Mm -hmm. um, like I didn't really, you know, want the things that my peers wanted or do the things that my peers did. I remember like my first kiss was at like 20 years old. Like I wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> like I wasn't really, yeah, I was very weird. Um, mm -hmm. I, I felt like I was weird. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, you know, my life was a bit strange. And, and um, yeah, the, the, the bullying really just battered my self-esteem very differently. And, and that's where I guess a lot of the voices did come from. Mm -hmm. The fact that, you know, I was too shy to put myself out there because I felt that I didn't look how everyone looked. Um, things that black women have to deal with, you know, around colorism, for instance, and being the darker skinned black girl who mm -hmm. wasn't deemed as, and it, and a lot of the time that bullying actually came from other black people. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a bit mm -hmm. wild, mm -hmm. um, but you know, those, their insecurities or whatever they projected onto me was something that I carried way up until today to be honest it's still a struggle for me to yeah. um you know shut some of those voices up and say you know what I am beautiful I am worthy I am capable of doing x y and z and mm -hmm. so a lot of it came from yeah just not feeling accepted um yeah. and not just at school sometimes it would even be at home mm -hmm. um I had a pretty like traumatic kind of early childhood and mm -hmm that also affected the way in which I dealt with situations because, you know, growing up in a toxic environment in your formative years, um, you react to things differently. And so yeah. I felt like that really changed the way I, I, I would be nervous or anxious to bring up things or I, I know I would use comedy, for instance, as a way to deflect. So mm. I was the class clown, the girl mm. at school who people would and I always thought oh people were laughing with me but most of the time they were laughing at me because <laughs> I would just do very like silly things um and yeah I think my childhood definitely definitely shaped definitely shaped how I saw and view my and viewed myself for the yeah. longest time yeah. but you know through you know coming to sessions with you and talking with you and really just talking about these things you know because sometimes it's, it's okay to have thoughts about them but you don't really process the thoughts and yes and through processing and really sitting down and, and figuring out my history 
or her story. <laughs> yeah, her story. I love that. <laughs> and it has really enabled me to connect the dots and figure out, okay, this was the moment that I felt a particular emotion. How do I unlearn that? Mm. Um, how do I not carry that emotion into my every day to day because I'm no lo- longer living in that situation. Mm. Um, so it's really just, yeah, using lots of different methods, all the CBT stuff that you've taught me and just really just going for it and saying, you know what, like my history or my past is not my present. And yeah. it's about what I do now that really matters that really counts and that can really change my future which is what I want I want a future where I'm able to say that all the work that I'm doing has impacted people positively and yeah and for the community and the platform to grow I also knew that you know it got to a point where so before I even started therapy I was doing this platform and I would talk about, you know, how it's so good to be introspective and and so good to be more self-aware, but I wasn't really practicing it. And so I think I remember our first session and coming to you and you asked me, why am I here? And mm-hmm. I said, because I'm tired of not practicing what I what I preach. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I remembered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so... that's equally as important in the work that I do is to make sure and it keeps me on track because I can't be telling people to focus on their life and become more self-aware and get outside and move their body and you know notice when your mental health is deteriorating and journaling and all these things if I'm not doing it myself Um, yeah so that was really critical for me it was key so yeah amazing I um Gosh, you know, when I'm in your presence, man, I, I'm usually, this is a different context, obviously, but when my most of the times when I've come to would, would be in session, but I always leave feeling inspired that it's not just about you, but also it's part of my own journey that I've learned something about myself or the process. And it's the same that's happening here right now. Yeah. Um, I just really, so thank you. Thank you very much. And one of the things that I really... You're one of those people that I kind of always think that that's the kind of person that would be around your life for a long time because outside of even when the sessions are finished that there's something about you and I think it's your transparency and your honesty and your ability to be vulnerable Mm. and show up and I, I always said to you that I think that's one of your biggest strengths, your vulnerability and your transparency. That's what attracts people to you. So, um, I just want to seg- segue a little bit and you're welcome. You're very welcome. I just really wanted to, maybe because I, it reminds me a bit of myself as well. I don't think I'm as courageous as you in being that bold um, sometimes, but I really admire that. But I wanted to ask you around kind of the millennial woman. I mean, I don't really mm-hmm. understand what the millennial woman means that much to be honest and at one point I used to roll my eyes and thinking, oh gosh, here we go, another term. But <laughs> um, but obviously you're kind of within that um, in terms of context and narrative around that narrative of the millennial woman. You're, be- you're part of that narrative in terms of your life story mm. and the time and age that we're in. So I just wondered about kind of what that means for you, because when I was thinking about you, I was thinking about the conflict and maybe probably from some of the past conversations we've had. 
I was thinking about the conflict in terms of kind of, um, you know, being being Nigerian, but also British, um, mm. because you were British born, you grew up in, 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 in the UK, but and spend the latter part of your life, maybe a bit more the last few years, just working in, in Nigeria. And now you're, well, I don't know where you are now, but, but I'm assuming you're back <laughs> in the UK, <laughs> or maybe wherever in the world. But that conflict in terms of expectations from, um, say, the Nigerian culture on relationship and career, but also being in a, in a British con- context and kind of what does that mean for you? Uh, yeah, in terms of what is the millennial woman and what does it mean for you in that cultural context as well? And also gender as a woman as well. Ooh, this does is a really sense? interesting, interesting question. So you're basically asking what it means to be a millennial woman who's also Nigerian and... Um, yeah, yeah how and British. Uh, British and yes. Um, right. So the millennial woman is a tricky one because I feel like for us, we grew up in a time where we've seen both sides of the world. We've seen the world without all this hyper connectivity, where it's like, you know, we didn't. I remember coming back from school and if I wanted to talk to my friends on MSN or whatever, like I'd have to take the phone line out to connect the internet. (laughs) I felt like there was MSN. Yeah. My mom would just be like, what are you doing? I need to make a phone call. And Mm. there wasn't this instant connectivity all the time, Mm. but we grew up where we saw the change happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, by the time I kind of got to university, whether it was, I remember Blackberries and BBM messengers and and then you got your Facebooks and the Instagram and the MySpace, the High Five. There were so many different ways in which connectivity started becoming very much like instant and accessible. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and so you stopped playing in the park with your friends. You just chat to them online. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what that meant for us is that we've been we we've been conditioned to be connected but then we're lacking that real sense of connectivity in our latter years and so what we found or what a lot of I guess me and my peers when we discussed this kind of issue have found is that as we've grown into our adulthood we feel that there are certain things that are left unsaid Mm. so there are certain things I guess you don't talk about and that that really comes in the cultural context as well particularly around mental health and being black and and growing up in the black community um I remember like growing up and whether my mum would have like bouts of anxiety or depression it wasn't really ever described as that it was just (laughs) oh okay mummy's having an off day or you know Mm. she's not doing too good whereas now we use a lot of the the terms the the real terms to describe what it is that people are struggling with Mm. but I think um millennials have really embraced that idea the idea of being open enough to talk about your your struggles and your mental health and we come from families or I guess you know I think for our kids it would be a lot different and it will get even more open 
But mm-hmm. for our parents, the boomer generation, these are things you don't discuss. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah. what are you doing? So I remember starting this platform and I did get quite a bit of support from my family. Like, to be honest, my family isn't conventionally Nigerian. Like, my mum mm-hmm. is actually half Trinidadian. Oh, go Trini! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. And... I live also with my, so I grew up with my stepdad as well, who's fully Guyanese. Mm-hmm. And so my household. Oh, sorry to, to say, because I didn't know that. I thought, I assume your stepdad was also of, of Nigerian descent. No. This is me making assumption. Forgive me for that. No, I did fine. know about the Trinidadian link, um, but not the, um, the, yeah, you have stepdad's link. So yeah, yeah go, so go, that, go on. It just meant that like literally, um my household I was raised even though we're quite Nigerian we're also very Caribbean like Mm -hmm. like, it's like (laughs) it's very um so I feel like I have a mix of both Mm -hmm. um but yeah I think that yeah there were some things as black people the black community we don't really speak on in terms Mm -hmm. of how we are mentally which is really weird because we'll speak about you know if we put on weight or if we've lost lost weight and we need to get our diets back and we need to get physically fit. But when it comes to mental health, mm-hmm. nobody really talks about it. It's not a thing to, to discuss, yeah. you know, it's like, why are you telling your business to other people? Like, yeah. why, yeah. why are you sharing so much? And so that's one of the things, I guess, as a millennial woman, I've had to kind of c- contend against because it's mm-hmm. like, um, some of my family, not necessarily my immediate family, it can be extended family as well, just don't really understand why I'm talking about the things I talk about or yeah. what's the need. I think in, within the last year, it's been okay. But mind you, I started the platform like four years ago. And yeah. four years ago, it was like, why are you talking about depression? Like, what are you talking about your mental health for? Like, this is too much. You're telling people too much. And I got a lot of that, um, but I just felt the need to. I felt the need to also, as a millennial, reach people where they are. And so using social media was a way mm. for me to do that. It was a way for me to say, you know what, let me try and turn social media and use it for good rather than all of the negative connotations that surround social media. Yeah. I want our platform to be a place where people can be vulnerable, where they can be real about their struggles, about their journeys, about life just in general, because I didn't feel that there was a space on social media that did that. It Mm -hmm. felt very much like people just created what they wanted you to see. Yes, absolutely. Amazing to see people succeeding and thriving and great pictures you know I love a great picture Hazel you know me like <laughs> yeah well you're a model yeah, so, so that I makes sense that. I love yeah the art of photography and, mm. and scenic things and don't get me wrong like I'm still one to post those kind of things mm. but what I do also want to to post alongside of that is the message the real message not not the fake I'm okay how are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's the, actually, I'm not doing great today. Mm-hmm. And this is what has happened today. It's normalizing not being okay. It's normalizing not having everything figured out. And that 
also being okay you know that also being yeah. very very normal yeah yeah absolutely and um we've got a couple minutes left but I was just really wanting to connect to what you said about your parents generation um I think I'm somewhere between your mom's generation and your generation I'm somewhere in the middle so I don't know what I would be defined as mm. but I am very aware of coming to this country from the Caribbean in the 90s and um was just very of the narrative for I suppose within the black community that don't talk about your business don't let people know that what's going on for you because there was a lack of something around trust and I think that yeah. comes with our history of um, going back to slavery, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But also, I think there's also the kind of idea that we're supposed to be strong and resilient. Um, and actually, and the person that I interviewed, Dr. Esther Cole, she shared an article with me, which I'll share with you as well. After this, it's called Breathe, but it's based in America. And it's focused more on um, sort of Black American women around the narrative around being strong and mm -hmm. resilient, uh, etc. So I think there's something around growing up in that culture that says you're supposed to be strong and you just have to work twice as hard. Yeah. So no one, so you shouldn't talk about your problems or you shouldn't show weakness. And what I do admire about this, the millennial generation, absolutely for sure. I think it makes my work easier because I have clients like you who have already started doing the work by doing research, you're reading, you're going on workshops, courses, whatever, retraining, and you're engaging with the literature and the narrative around mental health and well-being. Mm. So when you come to the session, you're already open to commit and to kind of work with the process. Mm. And, and so you're less resistant. And I find that really refreshing. And actually, I quite enjoy working with the millennial group mm. because I think it just makes um, it just makes a more collaborative kind of process of working. Yeah. And it has to be collaborative, right? Yeah. Like, God, like God forbid, I I start if I started like doing therapy before I was ready, was really ready to just mm. throw myself into it. I feel like it would have just been a waste of time because, mm -hmm. and a waste of money because it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you're there to talk about your life and what you can do. That's not up to the therapist to, to bring up certain situations or to process certain things. That's really your work. It's really you saying, okay, even after this session, what can be done? You know, yeah. that's when the real work happens. Absolutely. I love having sessions with you where I can brain, where I can brain dump and vent and talk about all of the things that I'm dealing with and just have somebody there to listen. But the real work is actually what happens outside of the session. It's how do you stop reacting and start responding to things? Mm. Um, how do you, you know, connect with people in a way that, honors your values and, and also respects theirs. And there are so many different things that I guess this journey has taught me um, that I wouldn't have been able to access had I yeah. not been open to start the journey yes. in the beginning. Yeah. And so you really just have to know that you going into therapy is not going to be easy. Like this is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah like it takes because courage you're just sitting with yourself and your stuff mm -hmm. and and I always say to people like there's still stuff that Hazel doesn't know you know like there's still <laughs> stuff that I'm not you know that I haven't shared yet 
mm-hmm. and that I'm still trying to get to a stage where I'm open enough to sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you have to really just come, come as you are and know that it's a journey, it's a process and it's not easy, but it's so worth it. Like it really is. Um, I think investing in myself is the best decision I have ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And it's not a quick process because people come quick. and they, and yes, of course it takes time and money, but someone will come and just think that, okay, can I have two or three sessions and, um, and, and just, you know, everything will be okay. But actually it's, it's an ongoing commitment for everyone. It's different. Some people mm-hmm. shorter, some people longer. Sometimes you may need to dip in and out of that process. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're kind of coming to the end, Amena. Um, and I, is there anything that you would want to share that I haven't asked you um, so far throughout the interview that you want to leave um, for the people listening? Any kind of last minute comments, suggestions, tips? Um, I guess... sorry I'm putting you on spot I think you've shared so much really in terms of your story and your journey and I just really wanted to see if you know sometimes because I get caught up in the story I might not have asked the question that you all touch on anything that you wanted to bring so um I just really wanted to give you the opportunity to do that if I if you hadn't had the chance to say it but you don't have to if there's nothing gone I think um, and I always want, wanted to actually say this out loud, just to like the black community in particular, mm-hmm. when it comes to accessing help for your mental health and your well-being, just don't shy away from it. Like, don't think that, you know, you will be judged. Don't think that people will look at you and think that you're crazy. And even if they do, that says more about them than it does about you. Um, I think it's really about time that we got active as a community to really seeking what, what seeking help and, and knowing that it's not a weakness. Actually, it's the biggest sign of your strength when you mm-hmm. can look at somebody else or you can reach out to somebody else and say, you know what, I need support right now. I need help um, in terms of figuring out what my next move might be or where I'm going in life. Find ways to stabilize yourself um, because stability is key, particularly at a time like this where we we all need each other. You know, nobody exists as a silo. Mm -hmm. We all kind of go through this journey together. And the more that we rely on community and finding ways to help one another, the better the world will become. so that's all I have to really say on that. Oh, absolutely. And I agree totally. I think there's power in community, power in relationship, power in society. And I really believe in terms of the different conversations I've been having um, within the last year and more recently, and maybe it's one of the things that the pandemic has reinforced that we need each other, we need community, and we need to build rather than focusing on just what we can get out of um, so situation or out of a relationship that actually um, we, we have to um, support each other as a community, but also as a wider system. So thank you so much for bringing this refreshing, um, uh, so your refreshing presence. Um, thank you for not swearing. <laughs> 
you can swear um, in, in when you see me next in another context. Um, I'm sure some people would be fine with swearing, but um, just because at the podcast, it really, with the um, platform, it asks, it really asks not to have any sort of swear language. But thank you. And thank you for being so open and uh, really, really appreciate it. And I'm actually, I feel really proud uh, of you, of how far you've come in the, just over the year that we've been um, working together. And um, I mean, I have absolutely faith that there's so much more for you to come. Um, so Mena, thank you. And um, I just pray that every, every kind of platform that you're on and every project that you get involved with would be a blessing to other people. And I know it will. Mm. So Man. before we end, um, your platform, do you want, um, how would people connect to you, follow you or reach out to you for um, whatever um, services? How, what would you like to share that? Awesome. So thank you so much, Hazel. I can't even like begin to thank you for the way in which you came into my life and transformed it and just made me sit with myself differently. Um, mm. All of those sessions where I cried lots of ugly tears, <laughs> you were there. And so I, I really just thank you for that. Um, yeah, before I start getting soppy and emotional, you can find... <laughs> because you know me I can really <laughs> yeah that's fine you're yeah. just being real <laughs> you can find me on um the late bloomers so that's spelled the l8 bloomers um we're on instagram we're on website we're on podcasts we're on spotify wherever you are we are <laughs> that's the point <laughs> And also my personal Instagram, which is Menakez, spelled M-E-N-A-K-E-Z. Um, that's where you can reach out to me. My DMs are always open. I'm also on TikTok. I'm starting to get a bit more into that. And Twitter and everything else. So well, that's where you'll find You're definitely me. everywhere. Yeah, watch out for <laughs> Mena. <laughs> Yeah, good for you. Isn't that amazing? From the, the person who was not visible to now being very visible. I know. Wow. I know. Transformation for the late bloomer. Oh, well done. Awesome. Thank you very much. And um, I'm sure many people who listen will be um, touched and inspired by your work. So thank you, Mena. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. again for listening to this podcast i hope that you found it useful and if so please don't forget to like share or follow me on this platform or why not follow me on instagram at his love page or check out my website www.hazelhislove.com thank you until next time